Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. King Hezekiah walked into the temple and laid the letter down. He spread the letter open and laid it before the Lord, and Hezekiah fell to his knees and began to weep and to cry out to Yahweh with all his heart. What was so terrible? What was the content of of this letter, and what made Hezekiah so afraid? It was a threat. A threat to Hezekiah and to the nation of Judah. It was a threat from another major king named Sennacherib, king of Assyria. See, about a year earlier, Hezekiah had gotten the idea that he needed to stop paying tribute to Sennacherib, and he decided to form an alliance with other kings who were tired of paying a tribute to Sennacherib. So he aligned with the king of Egypt and some others to throw off the yoke of the oppressor Sennacherib and to stop paying him taxes and extra money to please not invade us and crush us. Well, it was a bad decision. See, the king of Egypt, he was a weak king at the time and was useless in terms of making the alliance strong. And and the other kings were weak as well, for when Sennacherib discovered their plan, he took his massive army and he defeated the king of Egypt in battle and then moved into Phoenicia and Samaria and Syria. And then he began taking out many of the fortified cities in Judah and Israel. And finally, he arrived at Jerusalem's door, the capital of Judah. His massive army was just outside the walls of Jerusalem And they were threatening to invade, destroy, and crush the city of Jerusalem. And ultimately to wipe out the nation and the people of Judah. So he left his army there and he goes and sets up his headquarters in a town called Lachish, about 12 to 13 miles away. What would you do if the biggest, 
baddest ruler in the region was there with his biggest, baddest, largest army. Well, Hezekiah did what most people would do. He grovels and apologizes and offers to pay Sennacherib, Sennacherib to forgive him and, and to please be his friend again. And, and, and let's pretend this never happened. So Sennacherib agrees and says he will ignore Hezekiah's attempt to revolt if he pays him 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. Now think about that. Think about how much silver and gold that is, 11 tons. I can't even get my mind wrapped around that. Well, amazingly, Hezekiah has the money, but he has to take it from the temple treasuries to pay him, and he also has to strip all the gold off the doorposts of the temple in order to pay Sennacherib. Well, King Sennacherib gets his money, but he refuses to leave. Instead, he just stays and continues to threaten Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. So what is Hezekiah to do? How do you get yourself out of a pickle like this? Well, the next step for Hezekiah was to meet with Sennacherib's representatives to find out what was going to happen next. So Sennacherib sent some messengers, and they were led by a guy named Rabshakeh. Now, this was either his name or his title, we are not certain, but one thing we do know from the Bible is that Rabshakeh seems to be in complete control of the situation. So he can walk right into the city of Jerusalem and stand at the, this crucial water supply, this aqueduct that would have been Jerusalem's lifeline if this siege ever happened, if this attack continued. And so, here is the scene. We have three officials from the army of Sennacherib, led by Rabshakeh, and three officials representing King Hezekiah. And they are meeting at an aqueduct, a water pool, inside the gates of Jerusalem. And remember, the Assyrian army has just conquered both Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel and has devastated the countryside and the fortified cities of Judah. All that remains is Jerusalem. And if the Assyrians conquer Jerusalem, then Judah is destroyed and is no more. And they're meeting at this aqueduct to discuss this. Well, Rabshakeh begins the meeting by giving a speech. And he speaks loud and clear for all to hear, and he speaks in Hebrew. And in this speech, he basically calls Jerusalem weak and their armies useless before the vast army of Sennacherib and the Assyrians. And not only are their armies weak, he then takes it a step further and calls their God weak. He calls Yahweh weak and useless, like all the other gods the Assyrians had defeated in battle. And he goes on to list the gods that they had defeated and how it showed the superiority of their gods and the uselessness of the God of Judah. The representatives of Hezekiah during the speech asked Rabshika to stop speaking in Hebrew and to instead talk in Aramaic. See, Aramaic was the political language of the time. And if you were an ambassador and you would do much of the business and the politics in the Aramaic language, and if they could speak in that, 
the officials from Hezekiah knew that the people listening on the walls in Jerusalem, they didn't know Aramaic. Could they please stop speaking in Hebrew? His speech would make the people of Jerusalem afraid. And the people that are just listening on top of the walls or over that wall, the people of Jerusalem, if they listen, would become fearful and afraid. You know, the interesting thing is that Rabshika could have just marched his army in there. It was so big and just sacked Jerusalem. Why didn't he? Why did he stop and give this speech? He did it because that was exactly what Rabshika was trying to do. He wanted the people of Jerusalem to be afraid, to quit, to give up to just hand over their arms out of fear, and then they wouldn't have to do any fighting. You know, I often think this is what Satan does. He uses the fear of what could happen, the fear of what might come to pass, in order to get us to succumb and to quit on our own, or to not even try. He doesn't have to make us sin. He just uses our own fears against us. Instead of placing our confidence in the Lord and putting our faith in him, we listen to the lies of Satan and the fears of the flesh, and we quit before we even start. And so Rabshakeh ends his speech with a call to the people of Jerusalem to not follow Hezekiah, to not believe in your king's reforms to complain about Hezekiah's demands for his people to only worship one God and to tear down these other altars because if they did not revolt against Hezekiah in the weeks to come, they would have nothing left to eat or drink but their own poop and pee. I mean, that's sort of basically what the Hebrew says. You'll have nothing left to eat but your own, in the Hebrew, poop and pee. I mean, that is pretty gross and graphic, but that is what Rabshakeh wants to do to scare them into submission. And saying you're going to have nothing left to eat, but your own poop is really pretty scary stuff. So the people in Jerusalem heard this harrowing speech in their own language given by a foreign official, and you know what their response was? Silence. Silence. They did not say a word. For Hezekiah had warned the people to not respond, to be quiet in the face of provocation by the Assyrians. And they did just that. The Jewish officials also said nothing, and they left the peace summit. And the Assyrian officials probably left the peace summit laughing to themselves about the weakness of the Jewish people and the power of their gods. And as soon as the city gates were closed, Hezekiah's officials, as they closed those gates, they began to weep and to wail and to tear their clothing. They ripped their collars, tore a part of their sleeve off, ripped off one of their pockets. This was a time of mourning. And in the ancient Near East, if you wanted to show you were super upset, you tore your clothing. And they needed to get across to Hezekiah how upset they were and how dire the situation was. So they really ripped their clothing up before coming to meet Hezekiah. And when he saw them... He tore up his clothes and put on the itchiest shirt that he had. 
It was called sackcloth, and it was made of camel hair and had these fine hairs on it that would irritate your skin and it would itch it if you put it on. And, and then Hezekiah went out and found a bunch of ashes from a fireplace and dumped them on his head and clothes. And he was doing this because if you wanted to show that you weren't just sad, you weren't just super sad, you were super duper sad, you tore your clothes, put on itchy camel hair clothing, and then dumped ashes from a fire on yourself. Hezekiah, he was upset. So after sitting there and mourning for a while, and after hearing the news from his officials, Hezekiah then did something smart. He took it to the Lord. He got up and went to the temple to pray to Yahweh. And he also sent word to a man named Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was the prophet in Israel. I mean, if you wanted a word from God, if you wanted to know what the Lord had to say about anything, you went to this prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah was prophet in Israel for 64 years and had been the prophet during the reigns of Hezekiah's father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather. So when this guy spoke, people listened, especially the people of Judah. Notice what Hezekiah did right here. When he was scared, he prayed about it and sought word from God. Many people, when faced with dire straits or scary situations, they, they run away and they just think about it. That it They just run to themselves and their own thinking. But not Hezekiah. He sought the face of God by going to his temple and praying. And by wanting to know what God wanted, by seeking the word of God from his prophet. You know, today, we can go directly to God in prayer, and then we can seek for a word from God by reading scripture, by turning to the Bible. When faced with great distress, we need to do that. Pray and read his word. Well, the prophet Isaiah responds to Hezekiah by giving him the word of the Lord, and boy, is it encouraging. <laughs> he tells Hezekiah that Yahweh says, don't worry, be happy. Because this blasphemous official, this Rabshakeh, will soon be sent away, and when he goes home, he is going to die by the sword. And he says this of Rabshakeh, and also by extension, Sennacherib. Soon they're going to be gone. They're going to go back home and they're going to die by the sword. Don't worry about Rabshakeh. Don't worry about Sennacherib. Well, guess what? The next day, the Assyrian official Rabshakeh has to leave because he hears that his boss Sennacherib is about to leave Lachish, that town where he set up his headquarters, because he's heard a rumor that some kings were gearing up to fight him. And so he left and was busy in war, preparing for war. And so Rabshakeh had to go join him with the rest of the army that he had. And so Hezekiah, yes, probably thinks this was what God promised. God's promise is fulfilled. Look, Rabshakeh is leaving. The people of Judah had won. Yes. But before he leaves, Rabshakeh sends a letter. And it was a letter telling Hezekiah to not think that he had won. Why? Because he is coming back. 
And it was a reminder to Hezekiah that your God is weak and my God is strong. And Rabshakeh went on to list all of the gods and the kings the Assyrians had defeated. Hezekiah is defeated and distressed and fearful again. Could he trust in the word of the Lord? Could he trust that God would keep his promises? So here we are as we were at the beginning of the story. Hezekiah, with a mean, nasty, threatening letter spread open before him on the ground. And here we have Hezekiah praying and weeping and begging to God for help. But in the middle of this, Hezekiah gives a prayer. And it's a beautiful prayer. And it's been recorded for us to read and remember. His prayer, according to 2 Kings 19, went like this. Oh, Lord, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but made by human hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, Lord our God, please save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord our God, you alone. Hezekiah, in this prayer, he first of all declares the glory and majesty of God. You are God enthroned between the cherubim. Cherubim are powerful angels, remember? He could also be referring to the top of the Ark of the Covenant where God came to meet his people. Hezekiah then asked God to listen and to see. To see the blasphemy of Sennacherib and Rabshakeh. But then Hezekiah points out, you know what? Their little g-gods are useless. No wonder Sennacherib was able to defeat all those kings because these other nations worship gods that were made of wood and stone and made by human hands. These gods aren't real. No wonder the Assyrians won. But then Hezekiah goes on to state that Judah celebrates and serves the one true God, the only God, and, and then he asks, please God. Save Judah from the terror of Assyria. Please save us. And here is the reason why you need to save us, Hezekiah says, so that all the kingdoms of the earth will know you, Yahweh, are the one and the only true God. Hezekiah is essentially saying that Yahweh needs to save Judah to glorify Yahweh's name throughout the earth. What a prayer. And what a main point to remember. Do all to the glory of God. I mean, that's the theme here that Hezekiah is trying to get across. And, and later on in the New Testament, right, we see that in Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where he clearly states, do all to the glory of God. Everything we do. 
Whether we eat, whether we drink, sleep, play video games, close a major international banking deal, counsel a camp, write a paper on the onion metaphor in Tolstoy, if there is such a thing, well, we should do it all. Whatever God asks you to do, you should do it all to the glory of God. And the other thing that Hezekiah is doing, and something the New Testament encourages us to do, is this. He took his cares and his burdens to the Lord. He didn't carry them himself. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your burdens and cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. And in response, God did care. And he responds to Hezekiah's prayer through Isaiah with a poem of hope. In this poem, Yahweh basically tells Hezekiah, don't worry, be happy. Because Israel will be protected by Yahweh. Don't worry, be happy, because Israel will be protected by Yahweh. God reminds the Assyrians that any victories they had came through Yahweh, because Yahweh allowed it. God is saying this to the Assyrians. I gave you your victories, you didn't even know it. But now your blasphemies, they're too much, and they need to be repaid. And God says they will be repaid the exact same way the Assyrians would often punish the people they conquered. See, when the Assyrians conquered you, they would enslave you and drag you back to their homeland and their cities like like Babylon and Nineveh. And, And then one way they would drag you back is by using fish hooks. See, they would tie your hands together and and then attach those ropes to a longer rope with a bunch of other prisoners, and then you were pulled along with others in a great chain back to their homelands. But to make sure you would stay there attached to that rope, they would also take a big fish hook, and they would take that fish hook, a big one, and pierce your upper lip with it, or maybe pierce it through your nose. And then they'd attach that fish hook to the long rope that hands were attached to. Wow, that must have been painful. That hook pulling on your nose or lip every time your head bobbed on that long march as a prisoner of Sennacherib back to wherever he's taken you, man, it'd be painful the whole time. It just sounds terrible. Well, God says he's going to do the same to the Assyrians. Metaphorically, he's going to treat them with the same disdain and contempt that they have treated others. It's going to be like God just took a fish hook and poked it through their nose. That's how God's going to treat the Assyrians and Sennacherib and Rabshakeh. God will utterly despise and humiliate them. What? A wonderful response that Isaiah gets to pass on to Hezekiah to encourage him in his moment of despair. And Isaiah says that God isn't even done yet because he's not only giving him this prophecy, he's also going to give him a sign that this is going to pass. And the sign is this. You will eat from crops you did not plant this year. Then next year you will be able to eat from the crops you were able to plant. And then three years from now, you'll be eating a full bounty from cultivated fields. That doesn't sound that exciting and doesn't even sound like a miracle. But I want you to know it is. See, God is saying, 
the Jewish people did not have time to plant any crops. And in fact, the Assyrians are probably right now squatting in the fields that plant and reap a harvest. But here's the miracle. There will be enough crops from the natural sowing that did occur to feed the people. See, seeds fall into the ground naturally. And normally, without proper cultivation by the farmers, these seeds that blew into the fields or or fell off of some of the plants that weren't harvested, these seeds would grow, but they wouldn't produce much, let alone enough to feed all the people of Jerusalem. Well, this year, that is what is going to happen. There will be enough seeds and crops to feed the people out of this natural sowing of crops. That is a miracle. And then next year, even more. And then the third year, even more. Why? Because the people will be out there in the coming years. And they're going to be out there planting and harvesting. Why? Because the Assyrian threat will be over. Sennacherib and his army and his blasphemous officials like Rabshakeh will all be gone. And then God says through Isaiah, he gives him an even further sign that just like these crops that dig deep down into the soil and grow, so one day will the people of Israel there will be a remnant that will grow right here one day in Jerusalem. The people of Israel will inhabit this land and they will be bountiful like a crop. They will return. And God's response through Isaiah ends with these words, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. God's zeal for his people. Isn't zeal a great word? It's not just an active commitment, a love, a passion, as we think of zeal. No, in the Hebrew, zeal also conveys a sense of a jealous concern for his own people. Whenever you see the word zealous used by God, it's a in in the Bible, it it conveys this idea of, of a jealous concern by God for his own people and their welfare. God wants the Jewish people to love, honor, and obey him alone and no other gods. He is jealous in his concern that they only worship him. And he knows that is for their good. And he's so jealous and desirous of the people of Israel's worship that this zeal for his people prompts Yahweh to act on their behalf. I just think as believers... We should be encouraged by this phrase. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. We should be encouraged by that phrase. God has a zeal, a passionate love, a passionate jealousy for his people. His people Israel, and by extension, his people who make up the church. Us, right? Us who truly are followers and believers of Jesus. God has a zeal for us. Next time you are discouraged. Wondering if the Lord is hearing your cries for help and your prayers. Remember that the Lord is zealous for you. The Lord of armies is zealous for you. So just wait and watch what the Lord does for you. Do not give up hope. Instead, have faith that God is working on your behalf.
Isaiah 64, verse 4 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard any God like you who works on behalf of those who wait for him. And so Hezekiah gets up, dusts his knees off, and leaves the temple with joy and encouragement. And you know what? God kept his word. And he kept it in dramatic fashion. That very night, the angel of the Lord, and some people believe anytime you read the phrase angel of the Lord, that is the pre-incarnate Jesus every time. Well, we're not certain if that's true. But either way, that very night, a mighty angelic being, maybe even the Son of God himself, went out and slaughtered 185 thousand of the soldiers in the Assyrian camp. The Bible does not say how the angel of the Lord did it. All it says is 185,000 soldiers were killed. And when the people of Israel got up the next day and looked over the walls of Jerusalem, they saw that the army was gone and that the ground was littered with 185,000 dead bodies. And you can imagine somebody starts getting out there and counting all this because they've got to keep this record so you can know how many of the Assyrian army was lost. And you know what Sennacherib did in response? All the Bible says is that Sennacherib, when he found out 185,000 of his soldiers had been killed, he broke camp, left, and went back home to Nineveh. That was it. He broke camp and went home. You know, it's interesting. Later on, archaeologists discover records and annals of the history of the kings of Assyria. And one of them is the records and annals of Sennacherib. And he talks about his campaign against Jerusalem. And unsurprisingly, nothing is said by Sennacherib about this great miraculous event. According to his records, his siege of Jerusalem just ends. That's it. No complete victory. It just ends. Later, a Greek historian says that Sennacherib quit attacking Jerusalem because of an infestation of mice that ended up eating all the bowstrings and the leather straps for the shields. Well, we know that's not true. That's not what the Bible says happened. And, and no contemporary historian mentions a destroying angel killing 185,000 soldiers. Maybe God sent a plague of mice, I don't know. But we do know that a destroying angel killed 185,000 soldiers. But no other historian but the Bible mentions that. But then I think, why would you? The sight of an angelic being with a lightsaber-type sword, taking on soldier after soldier, killing hundreds with one swoop of his blade... All of that would have been frightening beyond words. And I don't think Sennacherib ever forgot it, but I don't think he could ever mention it. I think the ambiguity or the lack of detail of the end of the siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrians points to how true the story is. To face a destroying angel, to see that happen, that is something you would never forget. But as a proud king, that's something you can never mention. So Sennacherib returns home to Nineveh. 
He escapes death. He escapes that prophecy, right? Or does he? God said his judgment would come, that God would judge Rabshakeh and Sennacherib for their blasphemy. We don't know what happened to Rabshakeh. We never hear of him again. But I am certain that God kept his promise and that Rabshakeh, just as God promised, died by the sword. How do I know that? Because of what happened to Sennacherib 20 years later, on the 20th of October, 681 BC. See, Sennacherib was back in Nineveh in the temple of Nisroch the god of Nineveh, his personal god. It was half man, half eagle. And Sennacherib was in his temple praising and worshiping this fake god. And I can imagine he gets up from the altar. He's about to turn to leave from worshiping his god when he gets stabbed in the back by two of his sons who drop their swords and run out and leave. Both his sons wanted to be king of Assyria, and they ran and hid in, in what we call modern Armenia today. But neither of them became king. Instead, another brother named Eshar Haddon became king after his father, Sennacherib. But Sennacherib was killed by the sword, just as God had promised 20 years earlier. God promised that Sennacherib would never enter Jerusalem, and he never did, and that he would die by the sword, and he was murdered by his own children. And it's so sad, he was murdered by his own family in a temple dedicated to a fake God. What a sad and terrible way to enter into eternity without hope and about to face the judgment of the one true God, Yahweh, who you've been mocking all this time. God defended his people. Hezekiah did the right thing by seeking God first and wanting to know what the word of the Lord said about the dangers he faced. And God acted to proclaim his glory and to make his name great among the nations. I hope we remember that the next time we face trials. I hope we remember that the next time we face things that make us afraid. Seek the Lord. Take your concerns to him. Pray to him. Take refuge in him. Let Jesus fight for you. Psalms 34, written by King David. It's one of my favorite. It says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. And he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord, Jesus again, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
how happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to remove all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. Well, Hezekiah took refuge in the Lord, and the Lord fought for him. And Hezekiah must have been jumping for joy. The threat of Sennacherib was over. All was good. God had been his refuge and had rescued him. Yes, Hezekiah probably sat down to celebrate. And one of the best ways to celebrate, I think, is to have a feast. And so there was Hezekiah singing songs, drinking merrily, eating his roast beast with glee. And he noticed something on his forearm. He'd just gotten done with raising his glass and toast, and and then he saw it. Was that a rash? Was that just the light? <gasps> he dropped his glass in horror. No, it, it wasn't just a rash. It was something far worse. It was... If you want to find out what it was, make sure... Come back next time. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.